0: Coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming, turning point moment. <clears throat> yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. All right. Uh, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Uh, today I wanted to continue our campfire stories Uh Sermon series, but I also want to give it a little bit of a slant towards dad. If you've got a Bible with you, anyone got a real hard copy version of this? We got two, three in the house. Wonderful. Uh, our numbers are declining now, actually, on the number of Bibles since I started doing that. So if you're using the U Version Bible app, you can meet us over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. Uh, now, before we we jump into this, we'll just leave that up there for a moment. Before we jump into it, uh there's just something about being a dad and something about being uh, the man that, that has, has led us to believe that we are to be the king of our castles, that our homes and our families, or our kingdoms. And can I tell you today that you are absolutely correct. That is exactly how it works. And the Bible can back you up on this. So um, here we go. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Okay, that was all right. Uh, For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. So we've got this this piece of scripture that says that the husband is the head of his wife. He's the head of his household. He's the head of his family. And all the men in the house is like, yeah, you need to listen to me because I'm the head of the household and I'm the head of this family. And this is exactly what we're going to do. And then we chase it with verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her. So yeah, you're the head of your household, you're the king of the castle, but the greatest king, the king of all kings, gave up his life for people he didn't even like. He loved them, but he didn't like them. The Bible says while we were still enemies, Jesus died on the cross for us. So if we're, if we're going to lead our families and lead them well, we're going to be the dads that we're, we're called to be, the men that we're called to be, the husbands that we're called to be. Yes, you are the king of the castle. You're the head of the household, but the head of the household and the king of the castle lays down his life for his wife and for his family. That's what it means to be dad. That's what it means to be husband. That's what it means to be the king who sits on his throne. I mean, if you think about it, uh, we've, we've all got a throne in our house. I'm not talking about the toilet. I'm not. I'm talking about that chair that's strategically placed just near the television with the just in sight. The one where you can just kick your legs up, sit down, crack open a cold Coke that you got from church. With a remote. Where as long as you are there, you are the king of this castle, the kingdom. You will pick what you're going to If you want to watch fast and loud, you're going to watch. Fast and loud. If you want to watch Cupcake Wars, you will watch Cupcake Wars, and there will be no shame in your game because that's all right because this is your castle, you're the king, and you're in charge, and you've got scriptural backing to back you up. Proverbs 25 verse 2 says this, It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search things out. It's the glory of kings to discover things, things you are kings dads men you are kings and it's the glory of God to conceal things so that you can have the joy of finding and discovering things and this morning I hope we're going to find and we're to discover a few things and we're actually going to go to a very familiar story I'm going to do my best to paraphrase if you're going to meet me over in your Bible meet me in first Samuel 17 I'm going to make my way through verses 1 all the way to verse 50 today in 30 minutes but not less probably. <laughs> We're going to do our best to make our way through it, but it's a, fa- it's a familiar story. It's a familiar account, so I'm going to paraphrase parts. If you want to read the whole account, you can do that. This is, this is a famous story to go along with our campfire stories themes. One of those stories that you just tell and is passed on from generation to generation. There's little songs about it. It's David and Goliath. But I think that it's more appropriately titled The Tale of Two kings. The Philistines were crouching on Israelite territory, and so the Israelites decided this is the time for us to go to war. And so each side set up their camps on either side of a valley. So the, the land is coming in. It's the valley of Elah. And one camp, the Philistines were on one side, the other side was the Israelites. King Saul was hanging out in his tent on his side with all his guys, all the men, everyone's conscripted, everyone's in the army, we're in the navy, they're all going out to fight, they're getting ready, they're jacked up, they're pumped, they do their huddle, they're feeling awesome, they're feeling good. And then the Philistines tried out this guy, the Bible says he's really, really, really tall and he's wearing scale-like armor with a spear that is heavier than like multiple men and it takes multiple people to carry it and move it over this giant comes out and he starts screaming and yelling he says i am the philistine who defies the armies of israel and he starts screaming and yelling at them every day he comes out and he challenges them he says we don't need the armies you just send your best i'm the champion of the philistines you send your best i'm here let's do this winner takes all UFC, championship belt, for all the glory. Saul is in his tent with his advisors, and he's concerned because every single day he hears the chants, he hears the yelling, he hears the screaming, and this is what the Bible says. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Terrified. Terrified. And deeply shaken. Every time they heard the chant, every time they heard the scream from the giant. They were terrified and deeply shaken. Saul is sitting in his tent and he's like, we need, to get, we need to give a reward to somebody to fight this guy. Like, we need to sweeten the pot a little bit. It's not enough that they're gonna be the savior of a nation. We need to just like throw some extra cash at them. So what are we gonna do? Oh, I know. He thought like a real politician. We'll just we'll just we're gonna go tax-free. So if, if anyone goes and they're gonna fight the, the Philistine, they're gonna be tax-free. So they floated the news out. Everyone's like, hmm, that's pretty good. I'm gonna save us about 40%. It's not bad. Not bad at all and they're they're doing the math and like okay that's pretty good tax-free for the rest of my life and Saul's like okay do we have any any takers anyone want to take me up on this offer tax-free for the rest of your life and everyone's like no no I'm good right here I like that there's about four lines of soldiers before me so I'm just going to sit back here if that's cool so Saul's in his tent again, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, 40 days, they hear this chant. He's like, listen, we need to do something else. We need to sweeten the pot a little bit more. We need to, like, get people, somebody's got to fight this guy. Somebody must fight this guy. He says, you know, uh, we, his advisor looks at him, you know, there's one thing you could throw in that might, you know, entice some people. Okay, what do I got to throw in? He's like, your daughter her hand in marriage, that's probably a good thing, like tax-free, plus you get to marry a princess. Someone's definitely going to take you up on the software. You're essentially offering them like a piece of your kingdom, like who wouldn't want to respond to this? And Saul's in his tent. he's feeling, he's like, yeah, that's, put the word out. We're going to get a warrior to come out. We'll get a warrior to come out. And they, they go out, they spread the word for their camp. The camp is a buzzing because, I mean, who doesn't want to marry a princess? And the advisor comes back to Saul says, okay, so who do we got? Like, where's our guys? Line them up. We must have somebody here, right? Yeah, so about that, nobody's taking you up on your offer. You're saying that my kingdom's not enough? Tax-free is not enough? We have to add, like, duty-free? Like, what do we have to do here to ramp up the incentive? We got Like, what can we do? But they were shaken and they were terrified every single time they heard, voice. First Samuel 17, as soon as the Israelites saw him, they began to run away in sight. (laughs) Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He'll give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. You don't have to pay taxes, and you don't have to pay taxes. You don't have to. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Behind the scenes, well, Saul is trying to come up with reward and offer good enough to bribe somebody to take on the nine-foot giant. Behind the scenes, Jesse, who had some sons in the battle, decided to send his youngest son, David, with some bread and with some cheese. Just, just head up to the front lines and just bring me a report. Tell me how the guys are doing. What's the morale like? I mean, everyone loves a charcuterie tray. So just take up some fresh bread and cheeses. Make sure you give the, the, the commanders. The Bible actually says make sure you give the commanders and the captains the finest cheeses. So, you know, bribe them so the boys don't have to fight. <laughs> Make sure that they're taken after. So, so David's got his cart, and I don't know what kind of cart it is. I kind of like envision like a rickshaw cart behind him. And he, he's going, and he's, he's just delivering his bread and his cheese. And he hears this yelling, and he hears this screaming, and he looks around. And every single time this giant comes out and begins to yell and begins to scream, everyone cowers back. Except for David, he takes a step forward. What did he just say? What did he just say? Everyone's... Suddenly, David's at the very front because everyone's slowly slipping back. What did he just say? You cannot defy the armies of the living God. Who does this guy think he is, this filthy, dirty, nasty, pagan Philistine? says the teenager with the bread cart. <laughs> Who does he think he is? Word gets out to Saul that David was asking about this guy. It, hey, listen uh his advisor comes in listen king uh we've got uh we've got a contender um just wanna set the stage. he's very experienced with advanced weaponry he's great marksman, okay, this sounds great sounds great um yeah, we know that he's great and strong at at pulling things. Okay, that's. (laughs) This is sounding really promising. Did you tell him it's tax free for his whole family? Yeah, we told him that. He's really excited about it. You tell him he gets to marry a princess. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Okay, great. Who is this guy? Yeah, he's the shepherd. He's sixteen years old. Okay, and Saul literally says, "This is ridiculous." Can you not find me a warrior? Can you not find me somebody? And David comes in, he's like, who is this guy? He he can't just defy the armies of the living God. Saul says, oh, okay, all right, David. I mean, it's worth a shot. We got nobody else. He's got nobody else. See, here's, here's what's interesting about this whole thing. You might be familiar with this story. You might have heard it. You might have read it. You might have sung little songs in Bible school. You might have read the Malcolm Gladwell book, David and Goliath. It doesn't matter what angle you look at it from. There's, there's some things that stick out, and I think it directly applies to us. It's the tale of two kings. We're kings. This is, you know, our family, that's our kingdom. Our home, that's our castle. If someone comes to, to break down those walls and to attack my family, I will attack you back. I will use the thing that's hidden underneath my bed, which used to be a baseball bat, but is now like a breakfast in bed tray. I will use that against you. (laughs) And yet, Saul, handpicked by God to be the first king of Israel, hides in his tent for 40 days. You see, when Saul was chosen to be king. The Bible says that Saul in 1 Samuel 9 was the most handsome man in all of Israel, so that qualifies you to be king. And he was head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. So Saul was the biggest, the best that Israel had to offer. Saul was king, and he was the tallest. There was nobody else in Israel that was taller than Saul. There was no one else who was bigger than Saul. There was no one else who had a decorated military record better than Saul. So when Goliath comes out to fight, even though Saul is the king, guess who should probably go out and fight Goliath? The only other tall guy in the camp, King Saul. The very man who's sitting in his tent offering rewards even though far and away time and again he's known as the biggest and the best and the most glorified warrior. And yet when Saul looks at giant, at the giant, all he sees is a giant. (laughs) See, Saul's got a little bit of a troubling track record. In 1 Samuel 13, Israelites are about to go into battle. In Samuel, the, the prophet of God says, just wait for me. Before you guys fight, wait for me. We're going we're gonna to pray together. It's going to be like a nice like, like pre-battle huddle. We'll light a fire and burn some animals up and sacrifice. It's going to be a great thing. We'll just, it'll good team building. But wait for me. God says, wait. That's what it says in 1 Samuel 13. Me- Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal. Turn to somebody and say Gilgal. It's a fun word to say. And his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, Saul demanded, the king demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul was finishing the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcome him. And all Samuel could say is, what have you done? What have you done? God asks you to wait. But all Saul could see was the fear. He saw a giant that day too. Name fear. He couldn't wait. But that's not the only time he rushed before God. 1 Samuel 15. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Another battle, another victory, adding to Saul's decorated military career. God gave him explicit instructions. I want you to wipe out all of these people, the Amalekites. Take them all out. All the livestock, everything. If you're PETA animal lovers, I apologize. It's in the Bible. He says, wipe them out, every trace of them. Destroy everything. Gone. Saul says, yeah, 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 no problem. They go in, they beat the army, no problem. And then they're like, yeah, you know what's really nice? All these gold things in their house. You know what's really nice? I mean, these are nice cows. These would would look really good. So here's what we're going to do, guys. Instead of destroying everything, I know that's God's idea. Instead of destroying everything, what we're going to do is we're going to take all the good stuff and we're going to put it over here. And we're just going to keep it for ourselves. So Samuel goes to find Saul. And somebody says, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. You know you're in trouble when after a victory and you just disobey God, you set up a monument, a monument to yourself to celebrate how amazing you are. It's just a little Bible tip. Don't build a golden statue of you, okay? Only Wayne Gretzky. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, the goats, and the cattle. Saul admitted. So I love this. Samuel comes, he goes, it's true, it's true, yeah, I know, I know what God said, but we spared all the best things, and what do you do when you're caught trying to steal nice things for yourself? You lie about it, right? And you say you were using it for church. It's true, they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God, but we've destroyed everything else. We took all the nice things, but I swear we're going to put in the offering. Mom, I ate that cookie, but I just needed to make sure that it was good to take to church for all the other kids. It's the same problem just a different lie he's caught again you see Saul's got this troubling track record of doing what he wants when he wants how he wants because he's the king and he's the best and he's the brightest and he's the strongest and now no one's ever stood in his way until this moment when a Philistine is on the other side of the valley of Elah he's taller than him he's stronger than him he's Uglier than him, but he's still taller than him and he's stronger than him and he knows it's the right thing for him to do and go challenge it. But when he looks at that guy, all he can see is that guy, that mountain of a man, but it's a mountain nonetheless. All he can see is the problem. Even though he was the man who was handpicked by God to be king, you know what he doesn't see? He doesn't see. How the living God could do something in the midst of that situation. There's got to be somebody else. We'll just offer them more things. Somebody else is going to be brave. Somebody else is going to be strong. Like, let's, let's get some pump-up music in the camp. Someone's going to come forward. No, Saul. <laughs> I think it should be you. No, there's got to be somebody else because that's a giant. He's big and he's scary. See, Saul had a giant problem. But David had a giant perspective. He hears the taunting. He hears the voice. 16 years old. And he knows that God has raised him up and and trained him. He knows he's already been anointed king, that one day he will be a king. And he knows that God chose him just the same way Saul should have known that God chose him. And he knows the power of God at work in his life because when the bear came, he took him out. When the lion came, he took him out. He knows that God is with him. He knows that he goes before him. And he knows that God is bigger than any giant because God created giants. So he didn't have to be afraid. See, when, when Goliath was shouting his threats at the Israelites, he reinforced something. He says, "I'm a Philistine champion, but you're a servant of Saul." You're a servant of a man who's shorter than me, who's not as strong as me, who's not as tough as me, who's hiding in his tent." And David said, "Hold on, we're not servants of Saul." We're servants of the living God. This is the army of the living God. You don't mess with God. God is going to take you out. So when David gets ushered into Saul's tent, he begins to bring this God perspective, this giant perspective, that God is bigger than giants. That God is bigger than our enemies, God is bigger than our opponents, God is bigger than our current circumstance, God is bigger than our frustration, God is bigger than our debt, God is bigger than our broken marriage, and he can bring it back together and he can put it back together. David has a giant perspective that says, God is enough. He echoes the words of Romans chapter 8 when he says, if God is for us, who could be against us? His spirit is so much bigger because his God is so much bigger because even though he doesn't know it, Jesus is alive and active and working, and he can overcome even the giant, the obstacle that's standing in his way. So he comes into the tent and he says, I'm, I'm going to fight him. I'm going to, king, I'm short, I'm young, I'm handsome, not as handsome as you apparently. But I'm going to take, take out the giant. I'm 16 years old. You know, 16 year olds are, feel like they're invincible. And so Saul, who's won a few battles, goes, Well, I mean, what have we got to lose here? But David, if you go out, put on my armor. Then, First Samuel seventeen. God, Saul—not God. Saul gave David his own armor: a bronze helmet, coat of mail, and David put it on, strapped the sword over it. He took a few steps, going like, "Look pretty good in the armor." But he never worn such things. I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. I can't go. I can't go like this. What we're beginning to see, to discover, is a tale of two kings. Saul was the current king, but David was the next coming king. Saul was bigger than everyone else, taller than everyone else, stronger than everyone else, better looking than everyone else. He was the best of the best. But do you know, do you know who Saul put Saul's faith in? Saul. God chose me, so I'm going to do it. David, the next chosen, came because of Saul's track record of doing whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. David is anointed as king, and he comes and he goes, I'm going to take care of this. But I need to take off your armor because your armor represents the way that you do things, the armor represents the way that you think about things, the way that you carry yourself. And I'm not a type of person who carries myself thinking that I'm sufficient enough, that I can do it, that I have to have all the answers, that I have all the solutions. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do the one thing that I know. The thing that I know always works. I'm going to put my faith in God. I'm going to grab five stones because he's always been with me. I'm not going to put on your thinking. I'm not going to put on your perspective. I'm just going to walk out there, me and Jesus, and take care of business. Because if my God is for me, who could be against me? So the question today for us kings, for us dads, for us fathers is what kind of men do we want to be? What kind of leaders do we want to be? What kind of king do you want to be? See, it's, I think it must be built into our DNA. I'm going to fix it. Except for me. I'm not going to fix it. I'm going to call my dad to fix it. I'm going to take care of this. I'll fix the problem. I won't fix the stuff, but I'll fix the problem. I'm going to put it back together. I'm self-sufficient. If there's a mountain in front of me, I'm going to solve this thing. I'm big. I'm tough. I'm strong. I'm the man of this house, and I'm going to take care of it. I think it's just in who we are. But the question is, what kind of king do you want to be? What's your perspective? Oh, well, that, that, that. That giant is is bigger than me now. I was always the biggest. If that thing is bigger than me, how am I gonna? I can't fix that. I can't solve that. And Saul began to shrink back. There's, there's, someone else is gonna have to take care of it. I don't know. He began to live afraid. David, young, brash. His brothers made fun of him. He just wanted to be up here at the war. No, David just wanted to take care of business because when he sees. A giant, he sees a God who is bigger. He sees that it's not about what David can do to the giant, it's about what God can do through David that's going to set the people free, that's going to bring deliverance. That's going to fix the problem. That's going to bring the victory. What kind of king, what kind of man do you want to be? Are you a person that when you see a problem, the problem overcomes you? Or are you the type of person who sees the problem and understands that God is going to help you overcome? It's not what you can do, but it's what God can do through you right now. No matter what the challenge is, you look at your marriage and you say, listen, this thing this thing is a giant, <laughs> Not a bear, not a lion. This thing is a giant and things aren't going well. And and I think this problem is bigger than I can handle. Number one, of course the problem is bigger than you can handle. But it's not too big for God. It's not too big for Jesus. So what kind of man am I going to be? Am I going to be the person Who walks up to the problem, walks up to the line, walks up to the fight, and then slowly backs away? Or am I going to be the dad, the man, the king, the father, who says, yeah, that thing is big. But you know who's bigger? Jesus is bigger. <laughs> you know what works? Jesus. In unorthodox fashion, and unorthodox ways. Did you know that the best thing that you can do as a king, as a leader, as a father, as a man of faith, as a person of courage, is that when you see that giant that stands in front of you that's overwhelming and you have no idea how you can overcome it, you can say something like, hey, family, this is big. And I don't have all the answers, but I know somebody who does. His name is is Jesus and Jesus is enough and together we're going to walk forward and we're going to take this thing down. We're going to topple this giant and we might not know how that's going to happen and it might not look like the way that we think it should look. But if we walk with Jesus, that giant must fall. That giant must fall. That giant will fall because if our God is for us, who can be against us? Jesus is. Is enough? What kind of man do I want to be? What kind of dad, father, uncle, cousin, brother, leader? Who do you want to be? Do you have giant problems? Or do we see with a giant perspective that says Jesus is enough? Jesus is enough. You know, it's funny when God decided Saul wasn't going to be the king forever. He sent Samuel to find a new king. Samuel shows up at Jesse's house, that's David's dad. He says, Bring me all your sons. So he brings him all his sons. He just forgets one, David. Just leaves him in the field. You know, the youngest brother. North America is basically glorified as a prince, apparently in Israel. The youngest is a uh, servant in the field. Do you have any other sons? Nah. Last night we went and saw Cinderella. I know, really manly thing for me to do right before Father's Day. Uh, <laughs> and I couldn't help but draw a parallel between the wicked stepmother and Jesse father of David. Do you have any more sons? Do you have any more kids? Do you have any more people in the house? Nope. Nobody's here. Definitely not. There's no one here who could be king. There's nobody here who could be royalty. There's, there's nobody else here. I brought you the best. No, Samuel says, I think there's one more. And when they brought David in from the field, God spoke to Samuel and says, listen, you judge by outward appearance. But I look at the heart. In Acts chapter 13, it says that God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. What kind of king do you want to be? What kind of man do you want to be? What's going to be the track record of your life? Are you going to be like King Saul, the guy who did what he want, when he want? How he wanted, because he was the biggest, he was the tallest, he was the strongest, he was macho, he was man, he was king, hear him roar. Or do we want to live a life like David? Unexpected. Never saw him coming, but he was a man after God's own heart who would do everything that God wanted him to do. Do you know how he did everything that God wanted him to do? He trusted Jesus, because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Why don't we stand together? Jesus is enough. Jesus is more than enough. Jesus is more than enough. if we're being honest with everybody in the room, we've all got a giant (laughs) that we're wrestling with. We've all got a battle. And even though this message was skewed toward dads and fathers and kings, every king has a queen. And I'm wondering today, What's the giant that stands in front of you? What's the thing that you're afraid of right now? Because you have a choice. Either you can let your life be defined by the giant who continues to yell, scream, and intimidate you. Or you can define your life by a trust in Jesus that says, I In the most unlikely way, shape, or form, that giant, Goliath, must fall. He must fall. You've been listening to The Engage Life, powered by Engage City Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.